Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 113 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 23rd of June 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 45. And the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians, Chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians, Chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses 15 through 23. I invite you to stand with me for the honor to honor the reading of God's holy word. Again, from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for the wonderful privilege that we have of gathering. This place has been dedicated to you. This place that, Lord, is your house, not ours. Father, thank you for your word that we've been privileged to read from and for your spirit that, Lord, we know that we can count on, Lord, to teach us and to give us that which is impossible from man. Father, I know that you know the hearts of each individual here this morning far better than we know our own. And I pray, Lord, Lord, that you will take and use your word by the power of your spirit to speak to every heart. Lord, that which would be of benefit to them this day, that which would meet their needs, that which in some way, even if it be small, could help us, Lord, as we leave this place of worship this morning being just a bit more like our Savior. For it's in his name we pray, amen and amen. We continue this morning in our series, the overall series of contending for the faith, but more recently within that, the glorious church of Jesus Christ. And as we have been looking at these passages on the church we look first at the divine defining of a New Testament church and just what a church really is. And then we've been looking in recent times at the design of that church, how that God designed it, how it's supposed to function, how it's supposed to work, and all of those things. And we move on this morning to one which sometimes might make us set back a little bit, but we're looking at the duty of the New Testament church, the duty of the New Testament church. Now, I want to remind you, as we see in our passage in God's Word from Ephesians this morning, that the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, he really begins here by reminding them what a glorious thing that it is to be part of God's family, reminding them of just what Jesus Christ has done for them so that even you and I here this morning can have that wonderful privilege. Folks, have you really stopped recently and just thought how wonderful that it is to be part of God's family? How wonderful it is to be a part of His church? How wonderful it is to even be here in this local church this morning? It's such a privilege, and we thank God for that. Now, our thoughts as we think about the duty of the New Testament church, I don't think that I'll really be revealing anything new and mysterious to you this morning. 
As a matter of fact, it's really taken all that we have looked at in over a year concerning the church, and if you would, encapsulating that into a wonderful principle that all of it points to. We find that as we think about the duty of the New Testament church, there's really only one place for us to start. You see, after reminding them of what a glorious thing that it is to be a child of God, to be saved. He speaks there and he's speaking of Christ and he's speaking of his greatness and his, and his power over all things. And then in verse 22 he says, and hath put all things under his, Jesus Christ's feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of, of him that filleth all in all. You see, first of all, as the New Testament church, individually and corporately together, the church's duty is to Christ, is to Jesus Christ. It's not to the government. We find that uh, there are many times that regulations and stipulations could be put upon us that, that until it goes contrary to God's word, we are bound to follow those things. But our duty above all else is to the one called Jesus Christ himself. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, I'd like you to listen to these wonderful words from God's Word that says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wow, what a prayer. He says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, these are things that we all know. We know that the church, not only that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, that it's his body, that it's his presence here upon this earth. Well, as we've gone through our series looking at that church, when we began with the definition of the church, defining that church, well, in the, in the definition itself, it declares our duty to Christ, his headship. If you recall the very defining of the church in Scripture, we saw that the church, when we look at that Greek word that's translated church in our Bibles, ecclesia, that it means a called-out assembly. But then when we look at that word church that it's been translated into because it could be just any assembly if it's an ecclesia. It could be an assembly of a town meeting or anything, but in our Bibles it's translated church. And of course that word, when you take its root back through the German, right back to the Greek, remember that it means belonging to the Lord, something that belongs to Him. And so we're left with the the term church in our Bible literally means a, 
a called out assembly, but not any called out assembly, a called out assembly that belongs to the Lord himself, the Lord's called out assembly. You see, we belong to him. We're his people, his assembly, and therefore our duty is to him. We saw when we looked at all those wonderful descriptions that the Bible gives us of the church, that in that, that it again depicts his headship and our duty to him. You see, the church is described as believers. The only way to truly be a part of the true church that will be called out at his return is to be a born-again believer. It doesn't matter how many churches we belong to on this earth. One day, a trumpet is going to sound. and The Bible says we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. And that's when, and for the first time, many people have all kinds of wonderful ideas about the universal church. But folks, that's when the church, capital C, universal of all born-again believers of all time, will be called out and together for the first time ever, but for all of eternity to come. We find that as believers, we are believers because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. It's only his work that's allowed us to become believers. And then we saw it described as a body. But again, not just any body. It's the body of Christ. We know these things. But like so many things that we sometimes read about and we know about, do they really take a resting place? Do we, do we really, really grasp what it means to us? We are the body of Jesus Christ on this earth, literally. And he is the head of that body. It described it as a building. But again, not just any building, a building that is the habitation of God. <laughs> a building that is being built by Jesus Christ himself. With Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone that that building is built upon, his church. And all the picture of a bride. <laughs> the bride of Jesus Christ. We're his bride. Our loyalties are to him. We're to be faithful to him. Our duty is to him. And one day when that trumpet does sound and we are called out, not only does it say we'll be called out, but it says we'll be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you can't even think that fast, amen. <laughs> and we're going to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be able to be presented to Jesus Christ as a spotless bride. You see, in all of these things, in all of the descriptions of a New Testament church, it's all pointing to Jesus. <laughs> it's all about him. It all is him. We looked at the design of the church. <laughs> the church, a group of born-again believers, baptized, united together, bound together in their, their faith and their practice and, and assembled together with what? With Jesus Christ as their head and their supreme authority, which we've just read about in both of these passages of Scripture. The offices that he set up for that church, the pastor. The term pastor itself comes from the word meaning a shepherd. A shepherd the shepherd of the flock, caring for the flock. The pastor is, in fact, the under-shepherd of the chief shepherd himself, Jesus Christ. He's the one that is our chief shepherd, and he's the one that's given to the church, those pastors, to be able to look over his flock, not ours. And, of course, the deacons, <laughs> the office of the deacon being set up for the express purpose of caring for all those practical needs of the body, of his body, together. The pastors and the deacons being able to meet the spiritual needs of the people. We find that not only have the, the organization and the offices, but we talked about the ordinances. <laughs> Baptism, that initial act of obedience that we go through as a born-again believer. What does that mean? Ordinance, picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ upon which his church is built. The ordinance of the Lord's Supper, 
when we come around the table is to remember him, his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us. We find that we talk much about the operation of the church. We talked about the focus and the functions and the finances and all these different things and all of it, everything points to Jesus Christ. You see, in fact, everything that we've looked at in the Word of God, everything about a New Testament church shows us unequivocally that our duty is to Christ. We only exist, we read there, because of Him. We are His. Without Him, we are literally nothing. Individually, nor is a church body. We don't even exist without Him. We have no past, no present, no future. When you take Jesus out of the picture, there is no church. There is no reason for a church. We find that we're not only His, though. We are Him on this earth all. That wonderful, wonderful verse there in John chapter 14 when Jesus said, greater than these shall ye do because I go unto the Father. Why? Because I'm going to send another, this comforter. Why? Because as we looked at all those beautiful truths, Jesus Christ, not present just in one flesh and blood body, but present in every born-again believer. Jesus Christ working through us. That's our purpose in being here. We'd all be far better off in heaven, but we're here. That's why His Holy Spirit is here. Not to do all these wonderful, exciting things that just entertain and get people excited, but to do the things that only God can do. To do the things that can only be credited to Him. We are Him. His body on this earth. If our duty is to Christ, then it just stands to reason that our duty is to His will and His work and His very purpose in being that He has passed on to us the commission to His church. You see, our duty this morning is to Christ, but the church's duty is to the commission Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The commission, really three simple parts. First, to evangelize. Christ said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. He said it in Mark, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said in Luke that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. You see, our church is to Christ. But if our duty is to, if our duty is to Christ, then our duty is to his commission that he's left for us to evangelize. Then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Again, our job once a person becomes a child of God is to teach them that their first step of obedience is to identify themselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, certainly with, within our church and many other churches out there, that's the only way that you can become a part of a church in this world is by first following the Lord in believer's baptism, taking that step, saying, yes, I'm a child of God, and I'm proud to be a Christian to the whole world. And he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, to evangelize, to baptize, and then to teach. We saw when we looked at the functions and the various ministries of the church, the importance 
of the ministry of the Word of God. From the new birth, the moment we become a Christian, until the new body when we're called out of this world and we're changed. Discipleship. The study of God's Word. The teaching of God's Word. He's given it to us. He's required it of us as, as our duty. And folks, today we know it is vital for a healthy Christian. It is vital for a healthy church. We know that our focus is upon Him. And it's His Word. His Word that will keep us focused there. His Word that will wash us. His Word that will cleanse us. His Word whereby that we grow. See, the message is pretty simple, and it's so clear. Why do you think? I mean, just stop and think a minute. If you were somebody's enemy, which I know you wouldn't be, but if you were somebody's enemy, and you wanted to destroy that person, and you knew, Many times, as a matter of fact, military tacticians use it. One of the, one of the ways that right through history that they've won many a battle is by creating a siege where they, they cut off the, the food and the requirements that those people have to even survive. Don't you think the devil would do the same to you? He knows. He knows that it's by God's word and time on your knees that you're going to be strong. And he knows if you don't have that, that you're going to be weak and he'll try to fake you out and fool you out. <laughs> He'll try to make all those things come into your life where you just, you don't have time. You don't have time today for that Bible reading. You don't have time today to spend that time with Him. Just so tired. No way. I'll do it tomorrow. You see, all those times that He can come into your life, all those times He can keep you out of the Word, all those times He can keep you out of church where the Word of God is being taught and preached. He'll do it because he knows that you'll be a weaker Christian. And if you're a weaker Christian, then we're going to be a weaker church. So the devil's good at his job. We saw when we looked at the witness of the church as one of our functions. Folks, I'm not exaggerating when I say we have no greater task on this earth than that of fulfilling the commission of our Lord. We can either follow his command or we can disobey. There is no in-between. There is no I don't have time. There is no I'm not able, I'm not capable, I can't talk to people, I can't do this, I can't do that. No, you're a child of God. And if you got saved, you can tell somebody else how to be saved and they can see Christ in your life. We find that... We can get our lives focused on the responsibilities that we all have, on the, the duties that we have in life. And, and, and I know and you know that they, they are many. We have duties to our spouses, duties to our children, duties to our parents, to our relatives, Duties to our friends, to our bosses, to our schools, and, and the list goes on and on. There's all these people that you have duties to do certain things, to be certain places. The question is, and I ask you just simply this morning, folks, where does your greatest duty lie? There is no question that you have lots of duties. There is no question that there are many, many, many demands on our lives. But we need to answer honestly. Where does our greatest duty lie? You see, all those duties and responsibilities that I mentioned, they are all important. The Bible says that a man that won't supply for his own house is, is worse than an infidel. They are vital, they're important. The Bible tells us that, that all that we do, we should do as unto the Lord. That means whether you're sitting in a classroom studying. That means whether you're out there working a job and somebody's paying you for your time. Everything you do in life, you should do it, whether the person deserves it or not. 
whether the nicest or the worst person you ever met, whether they're fair or unfair, we do it as unto the Lord. We do it as if we were doing it for Jesus Christ himself. An employer shouldn't have any better employees working for him than those that are born-again Christians. They should be giving the most. They should be setting the greatest example. You see, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but I'm asking you, where does your greatest duty lie? Does that mean that they're so important that we don't have time for the greatest responsibility of all? You see, surely, surely, if we've paid attention to anything that we have studied in the Word of God, surely we've got to come to the fact of realizing that our greatest duty above everything, individually and as a church, is to Christ first of all and foremost and to His work that he's left us here to do. He created us for nothing. Without him, we wouldn't even be here. He's the one that sustains us. He's the one that's built his church. He's the one that's privileged us to be a part of his body, the body of Jesus Christ himself. How can our duty to him be neglected for the sake of others? You see, I can tell you earnestly and honestly, that there is no way. You might be able to love somebody, but you can never truly love somebody as fully as you can when you know the love of Christ. You can do great things and wonderful things for people, but you can never, ever do for anybody what Christ can do for them and what Christ can do for them through you. You see, when you begin to really look at it, the truth is this. If you really love Jesus first, I mean honestly with all of your heart, and if your duty to him truly is supreme, if he's given the preeminence of everything in our lives, it won't mean that you'll do less in those other duties. Brother Chris, you'll love your wife like you never could unless you love Jesus Christ supremely. You'll be able to be the better employee You'll be able to be the better student, the better parent, the better child. The truth is, when we put him first, we will fulfill those other duties a lot better than when we're putting those duties first and giving him maybe a little something that's left over if, if we have time. His work. He's left us to do. He left us to do it for him, but he left us to do it with him through his power. He promised there in that promise that we read, he promised to go with us to the very end. It also stands to reason that if our duty truly is to Christ supremely and our duty is to the commission that he's left for us. And thirdly, the church's duty is to the common good of his body. We don't even realize it a lot of times. So many times just in the flesh, in the natural, we think about what's good for me. We think about whether it's something that will benefit me, that will make me happy, that I will enjoy, but I'm saying to you that if we look at what we've studied, our supreme duty is to Christ, to the commission that he's given us, and to the common good of his body. We see that through the pastor of the body that we looked at earlier. Do you remember those verses that we read from Ephesians chapter 4 of why he gave these gifts to the church. He says, beginning there in verse 11, it says, and he gave some apostles. That was the first ones that he chose. That was the foundation of his church that he said. 
and some prophets. That's how he gave us his word. And some evangelists for the winning of the lost, for the preaching of the gospel. And some pastors and teachers, literally teaching pastors. Why? Why did he give those things? Jesus, this is talking, do you remember that this was right? Read those verses before. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things and gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. The truth is when he left this world, he himself had established his church. He was the chief cornerstone. He'd chosen those first 12 apostles to be the foundation of that church. And when he left, he gave gifts to that church. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How long? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Praise God, I'm looking for that day when truly we can be in his fullness will be just like him, the fullness of his knowledge and all that he is. Why? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I guarantee you something, folks. The world is not going to make you a stronger Christian. <laughs> the world is not going to try to make you feel better about your Christian faith. The church will edify itself. You see, our duty is to Christ, to the commission that he's left for us to do, and to the common good of his body for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. One of the instructions that he gave to the pastors in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that just shows that awesome responsibility and what God wanted. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He paid the supreme price. And now he's placed, he's, he's built his church. That church is to edify, to build up itself. And he does that through the pastor of the body. But he also does it through the practice of the body. What do you mean, preacher? Well, we looked at that passage back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm reading verses, well, let's begin in verse 1 and read through verse 7. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Listen, he says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God 
which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to, what's the next word in your Bible? Every man to do what? Profit with all. The gift is given to every man, but not for himself, to profit with all, the whole body. And this is so important that for the next chapters, this is what, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, he goes into great detail explaining the working of these gifts within the body for the whole body, for the whole body's good, right up until chapter 15 when the Lord comes back for us again, praise God. You see, the church's duty is to the common good of his body, the body of Christ, through the pastor of the body, through the practice of the body, that diversity within the body, and another one that, well, it's a little harder to take sometimes through discipline of the body. <laughs> it's the body of Christ. We somehow get it mixed up with some kind of a, maybe a social religious club. <laughs> Something that everybody can just come along and do their own thing and do anything they want to and still be part of that body. Well, I would take you back to Matthew chapter 18. <laughs> as Jesus Christ was still here building that church and establishing that church himself, he's the one that brought this up. And he says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Now this is if somebody does something wrong. I mean, it's not imagined. If somebody actually does something that's sinful, that's against you, if Thy brother shall trespass against thee. Do we feel sorry for ourselves? Hmm. Do we go tell everybody else what a horrible Christian that, that hunk of a person is supposed to be? That, hmm. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now I guarantee you, that the natural thing to do as soon as somebody does something that's really bad to you is you're going to tell somebody else about that awful thing they did. This guy's supposed to be a Christian. The Bible says, go to that person and that person alone between you and that person, nobody else. And you go to him and say, look, this is something that you did that has offended me, that has hurt me, you just open your heart to them, and you go to that person. The Bible says if he'll hear you, between you and him, guess what? You've gained a brother, and guess what? Listen, nobody else even knows it took place. Nobody else even knows that he did that wrong. Nobody else even knows what a horrible creature that they were to you. Nobody. Go to that person alone. But, he says in verse 16, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You've gone to that person. You've genuinely tried everything in your power, even though they were the one that did the wrong. You're the one as the child of God. He's a brother too. But you know what? Well, he's a Christian. He knows what to do. He needs to come to me and ask for forgiveness. No, the Bible says if something's wrong, you go to him. Even though he was the one that did it wrong, you go to him. You try to work it out. If it can't, then you come back. The gods give you pastors and deacons and those people that are there to help you with these things. You go, and again, I don't see where anybody else knows except that two or three people that's going back with you. And he goes back because there. Not just one, but it's that everybody, have, have you really put forth your best effort? Have you gone with the right spirit? Have you gone with the right attitude? Have you done everything you can to make this right? You've got somebody else with you. Still, nobody else even knows that this person has done this horrible thing to you. He says, and if 
he shall neglect to hear them. Tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. You know the amazing thing there? How many of you have got lost friends that you care about? But you know that unless something happens that Christ comes into their life, you know that one day they're going to leave this world unprepared to face God. How many of you? Lost friends? Lost family? Every one of us do. Well, now, if you want to win that person to Christ and be a witness, are you going to go up to him, Brother Dave, and tell him what an ungodly, awful, sinner person they are? You horrible, low-down creature, you. You know, the amazing thing here is that this is a brother that's done something wrong. Your first responsibility, without anybody else knowing it, is to go to that brother to rectify it. If you can't, then you get a couple of people to go with you, and you still go back, and nobody else even knows what a horrible creature he is. You go back, and the three of you together try to rectify it. Now, if he still won't hear you, then comes what some people consider to be very harsh. But at that point, the Bible says, if he won't hear you then, you bring it before the church, the local body. And if this person is in this sin and will not repent, will not turn away, what he's saying is you've got to put him out of the church. But you know what's amazing there? You know, the only way that you treat a lost person, if you want to win them to Christ, is with love. You know, church discipline is never meant to be harsh. It's never meant to be hard on somebody. We find that as we look into Scripture's Church discipline, in fact, is always meant to be positive. We've got to remember, it's so easy to forget. This is the body of Jesus Christ in this world. We can look through the Scriptures and we can find several places where that church discipline was practiced in the New Testament, and it needs to be practiced in the church today. You see, proper church discipline is always for the good of the individual, and it's always for the good of the body. The object of church discipline is always restoration of the erring brother, reconciliation of the divided body, and regeneration of a lost being. You see, it's never for anything negative to happen. It's essential for the preservation of the body, for the truth for which the church stands, for the testimony in which it shows, for the triumph for which we strive. Without church discipline, those things aren't possible. You know that in speaking to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a horrible sin taking place taking place right there within the church. We find that that sexual sin that was being taken place there, the church was just turning a blind eye and pretending, you know, it's just trying to be nice, the people that were doing it. Well, the simple truth is, is that when the apostle Paul wrote to them, he absolutely tore them up because they were just sitting back as the body of Christ and seeing this take place and doing absolutely nothing about it, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. You haven't done anything about church discipline and this one being taken away. For verily, as absent in body but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, 
and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. We're making a mockery of Jesus Christ, his body that gave everything for sin and then to allow his body to be portrayed with open sin. Folks, the church is not just any assembly. It is the Lord's assembly. And it's not just any body. It is the Lord's body. Our duty is to the common good of that body. Through the pastor, through the practice of that body, and thirdly, through the people of that body. Through fellowship. We've seen how that that, remember that koinonia fellowship that we studied in Scripture, that it was so vital to the church, that it was totally, completely dependent upon Jesus Christ, that it was distinctive to the church. It was something that only the church could know and have. Fellowship is essential for a healthy church and for a healthy Christian. It is our duty to Christ and to each other have true fellowship one with another. This koinonia fellowship, that's what will allow you to esteem another above yourself. I mean, really. It'll, it'll, it's what will allow you as the first church that we looked at there in Jerusalem to put the needs of others before yourself. The common good of the body. We find that it's not only through the fellowship that what John said in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia fellowship, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Through fellowship, but may I say also through faithfulness. <laughs> It's hard. And a lot of times when the preacher mentions it, people think he's just being contrary and being mean and being himself. Folks, I want you to realize this morning, we have a duty to Christ for the common good of his body to be faithful, to be faithful in our assembling together, of being a body that's functioning together. We need each other. Now, if you think you don't need anybody else, that you're just fine and hunky-dory on your own, that you can get along just fine without anybody else's help, well, first of all, I'd say that I'm afraid you're sadly mistaken. But even even if you wrongly felt that way, your duty is not to you, it's to the body as a whole. Even if you didn't need it, which is kind of ludicrous, your duty is not to you, it's to the rest of the body for the common good of all. You see, who might be able to be encouraged just by you being there, just by a smile at the right time and a, a simple hello, maybe just a hug around the neck. How low might they be feeling and you don't even know it? I'll guarantee you one thing. There's one person that it will always encourage when you're here, and that's your pastor. <laughs> it's always an encouragement to the pastor. To see you there. Why? Because he's the shepherd. 
How can he care for the sheep if the sheep aren't even in the fold? I'll guarantee you that if you come seeking to be a blessing, and if you come to be an encouragement to somebody else, you will be. You will be. Too often we come to church whether we think that we need it or whether we feel like it. We're talking about that koinonia fellowship as a sacrificial fellowship. Do you know why that love? If you've got a King James Bible in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, do you know that it's charity, charity, charity? You know why they use that word charity there? Love is used other places. Because that's that Adonai love. That's the kind of love that God loved us with. You see, that's a sacrificial love. That's a self-giving love. That's the kind of fellowship. That's the kind of love that we need within his body, within his assembly. That, not whether I need it, not whether I feel like it, not whether that's why I said, you know, when it's a real special encouragement to me, if you're not encouraging anybody else, and I see some of you sitting back there, and I know that you, you, had, you had excuses not to be here this morning. You're in pain. You could just as easily have said, I don't feel like going. You had other things that you could be doing, but you're here anyway. And you know what? That's not just to me. But what about the other people around you? Isn't it a blessing to you when you see somebody here and you know, you know that they're here in spite of their pain, in spite of not feeling like it, in spite of being tired, they've put forth that effort anyway. We find that the body needs you, needs every member of that body. That's so much of what we've seen in the picture of the body of the church. If this body didn't need you, God wouldn't have placed you here. God wouldn't have placed you here, but he has, and we need each other. And when you're missing, part of the body's missing. There's no way. You know, you can, you, I don't care if it's, you know, a, a little finger or <laughs> I, I know just how much a toe meant when I ripped that toenail off about, I don't know, a year and a half ago or how long it was. It's amazing. You don't realize, you know, just how much that toe means to your body until suddenly it's not working like it's supposed to anymore. Finger, tie an arm behind your back. Put out an ear. You don't even have to put it out. Just get a whole bunch of this uh, tinnitus like I've got, and then you're lucky to hear over the ring anyway. But all I'm saying is this. You're part of the body. If you're part of the body, the body can't function fully to its potential without you. You see, our duty is to Christ first of all and foremost above everything else. I don't care how important those things are in your life, you'll be able to fulfill them better if you'll fulfill your duty to him first. Whether that's in the church, whether that's getting out there on the streets when we have the open airs and we're going out witnessing, whether it's going out here knocking on the doors of these houses and trying to meet these people face to face and trying to find out how we can be a, a blessing to them and how that we can minister to them. We're the church, we're the body of Christ. Do you not think that he would be bothered about getting to know the people in the neighborhood? Do you not think that he would be out there trying to share the truth and try to be a blessing, you know, even out there on the street? You could smile, surely. That's all you got to do is just smile and offer somebody the greatest news they've ever had in their life. You don't have to do anything stupid and embarrassing. Matter of fact, probably prefer you didn't. Just smile. Let the love of Jesus. I tell people, you know, if you just stand out there with a straight face and you're just holding these tracks out there in your arm, don't expect too many of them to get yanked out of your hand. But when that person comes down through there, just look them straight in the eyeball and give them the biggest smile that you've got. You don't have to be fake. I mean, you might just be able to give this person the greatest thing they've ever received in their life and just smile at them and hand them that track. And, you know, some of them will still say no but a whole lot more of them will take it if you're just looking at them and smiling. 
You know, smiles are contagious. It makes other people feel better when they think you feel better. We need to be a witness. Folks, I know we know it. I'm just saying for your benefit. And you know, there is so much more potential. I know we can look around and we can get down. I mean, wow. Look at our neighborhood. I mean, it's probably at least 90% Muslim out there now. How many of those people are really going to want to talk to us Christians when we go to their door? How many of them are going to care what we've got to say? Well, probably not many of them. But, you know, even if there's one, if we don't go, they'll never know. You know, I've challenged you lately. I hope you're earnestly praying. You know, Sometimes a church needs to get out of the road. We can be going along and we can have all these programs and we can be doing all these things that are right and good. But I'm saying, what can we do better? What can we be more effective? How can we win more souls to Christ? How can we be a brighter light in this neighborhood and in our city and around the world through our missions? Let's look. Let's see what we can do. We know that we have a duty, but... We let all these things get in the way. Can I encourage you today? Can I remind you there is no greater privilege in your life than being a member of the family of God, being a part of the body of Christ. And within that body, God places you somewhere specifically. There's an awful lot of sick churches today. There's an awful lot of churches that could be doing so much more, and that includes us. I love all of you, and I don't know about you. I, I thank God for Bethel Free Baptist Church, and I thank God that we're here, and I thank God that you put up with me preaching. Probably not thanking God that I preached that long, amen. <laughs> but the truth is, we've got a lot to be excited about. We are a privileged people Let's really stop and think about our duty, our duty to Christ, our duty to his commission, our duty to the common good of his body. How are you doing in fulfilling your duties today? You know, even in everyday life, when things are expected of us and we do them, we feel a whole lot better. And when we know we've got responsibilities that we haven't met, what a privilege that we have to be a part of his body. Oh, let's thank God for that glorious, glorious privilege today. What a privilege. Look, you know, it'd be a great honor to serve the prime minister or the queen. It'd be a great honor to serve as an ambassador in some country somewhere. Well, you're an ambassador for Christ. What a privilege to serve him. What an honor to serve him. But we need to ask ourselves, are we truly, genuinely serving him as we ought to? Are we taking our duties seriously? And I don't say that for your harm. I say that because I want you to be happier. I want you to be more fulfilled. And yes, I'd like to see every seat out there filled. Not so that somebody can think that you or I did a good job, but because it's the body of Christ. More people to minister to. More people to be saved. More people to be a blessing to. He's given us that wonderful privilege. Father, we thank you today. Lord, we've looked at many things concerning your church. And today, Lord, it kind of drives right home when we talk about our duty. Our duty as your church, as your children. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us just to grasp these simple truths from your word, to recognize all the great, wonderful, exciting privilege that it is to be part of your body, to be able to serve you. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord. Help us to take all of our duties and responsibilities seriously, but help us to recognize that our greatest duty of all is to Christ, to his commission, and to the common good of his body. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 